Today's episode of No Dunks is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Monday, April 20th, and we're here to recap the first two episodes of ESPN's 10-part documentary, The Last Dance. I'm Jay Skeets, and joining us here on the horn, from North Mississauga, Tass Mellis. I don't know if that's true. Tass, what's up? Nah, North wasn't too cool. I'm from the <laughs> South Side, big White Sox, and uh, Ice Dogs fan. Of course. We also got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey, yo! Hey, hey, yo. yo. The international man of mystery taking it to the max, Leelis. Friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last but not least, making this magic happen here on a Monday, JD. Hello. What's up, JD? Well, that was a little more enjoyable than NBA horse. Good start there. Um, For those of you living under a rock, The Last Dance, it's chronicling Michael Jordan and the 97-98 Chicago Bulls championship run. Um, I wanted to make that clear because I was hoping someone out there thought that this was a new film session podcast and that we were dissecting uh, Save the Last Dance, the 2001 teen drama (laughs) featuring Julia Stiles. Not a bad idea. I haven't seen that one. Maybe down the road. We'll get to that. No, this is The Last Dance, MJ and the Bulls. Again, 10-part documentary. We're talking about the first two episodes, which premiered on Sunday night. We'll tackle each episode, you know, one at a time if we can. I know there'll be some bleeding between the two. But this was awesome. And these two episodes really covering sort of the rise of the Bulls dynasty, along with that disintegrating relationship between the team and the front office. But how hyped were you guys on Sunday leading up there? And did episode one live up to that that hype? Because Twitter was going insane. What did you think, Tass? We'll just start with you. Did it live up to the hype? There was a lot of hype. I'll say that first and foremost. But yeah, it's a great setup for what will lead to be these next eight episodes where we will see the drama. I think we're going to see a ton more of the, the Pippin-Krause, Pippin front office uh, fallout. I don't want to call it the best sports documentary quite yet because we still have eight episodes left. And I imagine there's going to be a Michael Jordan documentary, which will document the first few years of his the championships and the gambling and his father passing and all that. So maybe that will be the best sports doc, but I think we're in a great place right now. After these first two episodes, yeah, I lived up to the hype. Trey, you, uh, I got a photo sent. I think it was your wife sent it to me and Nora of you rocking full-on Bulls gear. So you were obviously <laughs> into this as a Bulls fan growing up. Oh, my goodness, Skeets. It was ridiculous. I was feeling sick to my stomach all day with nerves and anxiety. It felt like the Bulls were going to be tipping off Game 7 of the finals on Sunday night. Um, and then once it started, it's like, you know, I had on my warm-up shirt over my full uniform, so I had to pull the warm-up shirt off to actually start celebrating once they started winning all those titles. I was getting hyped, man. It was, uh, 
it was awesome. Um, you know, it's basically two hours of setting the scene is what I felt like, but I was happy to have that scene reset for me, that's for sure. It was like watching an adult version of all of those, uh, you, you know, like home videos basically that you had, like a Come Fly With Me or His Airness, whatever, uh, whatever the Jordan docs were called back in the days or the, you know, the home video little propaganda things. This felt like the version made for a 30-year-old rather than made for a 13-year-old. Yeah, Lee, you're always talking about how you wish you had your uh, Wendell Survivor buff while watching <laughs> Survivor. So when we do yeah. our recaps, um, did you have on, uh, you know, any MJ paraphernalia or Bulls paraphernalia last night? No, I wasn't wearing anything. But yesterday throughout the day, I was definitely going through all the old sort of posters and magazines and little clips and things like that that I've gotten and I've collected over the years. And, you know, some of it was on our set there in the studio and just it, it was like going in a time machine last night you know at nine o'clock i was just like wow we're actually going back to see michael jordan in his prime again you know like because in the last few years when we see jordan he's the retired owner of the charlotte hornets mm -hmm. you know he's not the sort of guy that who, who took the league and catapulted it to this global level so to see him and to see the bulls in that challenge in that situation and facing all those circumstances you know trey mentioned there set the scene it sure did for me because even though we know the outcome we know how this ends this is not a movie we know that we know the final scene here is going to be triumphant but it still feels to me like i'm not sure if that is going to happen like i love the sort of tension and the drama that we're already seeing in these first two episodes because you're like wow they're they're, they're facing some internal strife here as much as they're facing like the challenge of trying to win another championship so I, I thought, um, you know, I, I was captivated. Uh, you know, it was two hours, of course, the two episodes, an hour long each. And it was one of those ones where, you know, sometimes when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, my God, it's over already. Like, I, I, it felt like it just blew past me in, uh, in no time at all. Like, I was just uh, really caught up in it. So... Like you could have watched all 10 hours last oh, well, night, right? So that's the funny thing. You, you, you guys know I don't really watch a lot of TV, so I don't go through binge-watching series. The only time I've done it is Cobra Kai. But I definitely, <laughs> I definitely now I'm like, oh my God, I've got to wait another month before I see episode 10. There's no question. If I could have, I'd be halfway through this series easily by now. I would have just been watching it all last night and then probably save a few for today. But uh, yeah, very, very strong start, I thought. Very captivating and, and, and immediately has drawn me in, you know, and I'm a basketball fan, of course, but I feel like I just can't wait now for episode three. Yeah. What, uh, do you, Tassel, start with you. How much do you remember of this specific season with the Bulls and really like that, again, that strife heading into the, the final um, year, you know, trying to go for number six, this idea, this whole thing with Pippen, versus the front office and just, you know, Jordan hating them. Like, what, do you remember this? I mean, we were, you know, what, 16, 17, 18. I, I, I actually don't remember the details all that well. I'm curious if you do. No, I don't remember the details all that well. I yeah. just remember, you know, more of the, the bare bones. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Pippen, angry. And uh, not very happy with being the 122nd highest player, paid player in the 97, 98 season. That's basically about it. And I just remember that... That big bulls logo uh, everywhere. That big bull, just seeing it everywhere. <laughs> seeing that footage was awesome uh, of him being in uh, MJ being in Paris, walking around with the beret and, and the and the big <laughs> bulls warm up. Um, so yeah, no, that was I, one of my favorite lines of the night. Stern when he just said, "You know, Michael, I think was wearing a beret." Yeah. Because he's Michael. <laughs> just striding through Paris wearing a beret in a full bulls warm up too. That was that was awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
For me, I do remember most of these details. There, if you've read Playing for Keeps by David Halberstam, yeah. an incredible book, and that's where you're getting a lot of this final season stuff. And then MJ, of course, ditches him to write his own book at the very end there. But um, that's the difference will be once we get further and further into this documentary, when you read about it, they say Michael is berating players. But now we're going to see what berating is really like. There were just a couple of tastes of it last night, but I think those are – even those little nuggets, I feel like, are scene setters. Like, if this is what we're going to show you in the first episode, imagine what it's going to be like in number six mm. or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. the hope, I think. Yeah. And when he was yelling at a couple of his teammates, he was basically the same message for Ron Harper. What the hell are you waiting for? Tony Kukoc, come on, man. What are you waiting for? I thought the creators of the doc could have inserted, a, you know, as soon as he said it to Ron, said it to Kukoc, what are you waiting for? Quick. What the hell are you waiting for? <laughs> could have used that in there. But hey. It's an editor's choice. Tough choice. JD, what did you think? Uh, did you get a chance to watch uh, one and two last night? Yeah, well, I watched it this morning actually. Okay, uh, I, it was great. I love watching sports like this. It's full of drama. <laughs> it's cinematic. Yeah. Uh, speaking of berating, my favorite part of the Paris uh, part was seeing the audio guy get berated for asking for an autograph. <laughs> oh, that was so <laughs> good. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Berate that guy. Yeah, because MJ didn't say a thing. MJ yeah, just well, like, shrugged. Like, what is this guy's yeah. deal? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, he wasn't expecting it at all. And then he just sort of looked around for someone to come in and say, get this asshole out of here. Like, what, what the hell's going on? You know? or, uh, or common with the, uh, the little story, side story there that he fake signed an autograph uh, for a fan when he was ball boy yeah. with Michael Jordan's signature that he spelled michael wrong which when i was younger i always went m-i-c-h-e-a-l for all michaels as well so maybe that was the spelling mistake I don't <laughs> that's know. probably what uh common did as well i think you're right it was uh, uh, it's a common spelling mistake exactly. <laughs> um it was cool that they could use this the bulls traveling to the preseason and doing this paris whatever mcdonald's game or whatever to set the scene of like oh yeah this team and mj specifically I mean, they were rock stars. Like, just like, and watching this whole thing, these last two episodes, the first two episodes, I kept thinking, like, like you, like all of us really are like reliving it to some degree. Like, Trey, obviously, in the Chicago area, us, this was exactly when, you know, around what, 93, 94 is when I like really, really, truly became an NBA fan and mainly because of the Bulls, mainly because of MJ. But there are so many people watching this, younger people that didn't really experience any of this or maybe even had an idea of like, oh my God, they were like the Beatles. I mean, I know they've seen MJ clips and they knew the Bulls won a bunch of titles, but this is new to a lot of people, which is sort of fascinating to wrap my head around. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do for sure, because you're right. I mean, a lot of basketball fans now, and you think of someone like Bradley Beal, who said when he grew up, you know, LeBron was the guy that he, yeah. he sort of idolized. So even for NBA players, a lot of the young guys, you know, they weren't even born when Jordan was, uh, you know, a star player. And so for them, this will be a really insightful look back at just how, not how good just the Bulls and Jordan were at the time, but just how impactfully they were around the globe before social media as well. You know, like everywhere, like they go to Paris and they were just the hottest ticket in town. And we saw people freaking out. 
you know, on the street, young kids, young girls and boys, like just absolutely, you know, gobsmacked to be able to see Michael Jordan in their city. So it's going to really, I think, um, provide some historical context for a lot of people who, who only sort of know the league from the LeBron years and these last few years, because again, that's where so much of it is played out on social media. And uh, I think that, I think that's great for the league, you know, and, and it's going to be great for uh, Jordan's legacy. Not that he necessarily needs it, but uh, you know, the, the, so the what are you is, saying? Probably not a coincidence that he greenlit the documentary the day LeBron won the title against the Warriors? Yeah, well, that was interesting. I, I did see that as well. So, um, you know, that's it, Jordan. And, you know, he likes to, he doesn't want to get sort of lost in the shuffle of, of, of old players. I mean, you know, for, for us guys, for us older guys, that won't be the case. But, but certainly you can see that, you know, younger kids growing up, they only really want to know what has existed during their own lifetime. You know, that's just the way sort of nature is. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's great. I mean, it's it's so good because if this was played out in the summer, I just wonder if it would have been as hyped up and we would have all been as excited for it as we are right now because there's no basketball. I mean, probably, but I think it certainly helps that there's just no basketball on right now. So we we take this trip down memory lane and it's one of the most awesome lanes you can possibly go down. <laughs> yeah, it's I, like driving I, I, the Great Ocean the... Road there, Lily. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Paris stuff because you just get to hear so many accents. I mean, it's hard not to think of Barcelona in 92 and the Dream yeah. Team when they're over there. And some guys like John Stockton can go incognito, but basically everybody is swarming everybody. And you hear that, well, it's Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan. And you just hear those great accents of people who are just clamoring to see him. Hey, what are your thoughts on the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, always a blast. What? Trey was the biggest takeaway from the first episode for you from this one. To me, the biggest takeaway is that everything everybody ever says about Michael Jordan is 100% true. It feels like living through it when it happened, I felt like the Bulls would never lose a game. And then I watched this last night and it felt like the Bulls never lost a game, despite the fact that I'm seeing scores where they lost. It seemed like any time their back was up against the wall, Jordan would show up and just do something amazing. I thought that quote, uh, quote from Roy Williams was incredible. He's the only guy that can turn it on and off, and he freaking never turns it off. Yeah. I thought that was just awesome. And that, to me, is kind of like the dictionary definition of Michael Jordan. He's the best there is, and he's trying the hardest there is. Yeah, it's cool that, like, I love how they're the, you know, the filmmakers, they've decided to do this jumping around, like, of, of, like, of chronological order, like, simultaneously yeah we're in the 97 98 season here and all the drama surrounding that but yeah we're going to tell you about how mj even got to the bulls and then of mm. course later on in episode two with you know how pippen gets there and, and mj with his broken foot and all that i think it's so cool and for me that is really like i'm really geeking out on that stuff like the college stuff was fascinating to me because that really is truly before my time um and really anybody's time except lee ellis who lived it um <laughs> But yeah, like that's so, so cool. It's like, you know the story. You know he hits the shot for UNC. You know he became um, pretty quickly maybe the best player on the team, even though James Worthy was there for crying out loud and other players like Sam Perkins. But to see it and like, you're, oh my God, yeah, they were in the Superdome. Like I had forgotten that. I forgot they were playing in front of 60,000 people against Georgetown. It's like, this stuff is just crack for me. It's like a... I'm a part of the old bulls. I'm doing. I'm, I'm in the crack line. I'm in the cocaine line. It's 4:20 today. Trey's in the weed line. You know, maybe Tass is having a drink line. It leaves with the women line. Yeah, but whatever. The women. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. it's uh, that. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was a great line from James Worthy. What the guy was the Final Four most outstanding player during Jordan's freshman year, and he's like, yeah, he was better than me within two weeks. I mean, yeah. obviously Worthy had the more successful season because you know he's has the seniority on the team, so he's yeah. getting all the touches and stuff. But he's like, if we're playing one on one, the guy is wasting me. I thought that was incredible. The guy's in the Hall of Fame now, and he knew when Michael Jordan was 19 years old that he was better than him. Mm. That's incredible. And- Seeing uh, Patrick Ewing in the documentary was a little bit of a surprise to me, but uh, also just seeing that Jordan hits that game winner over Georgetown, over Patrick Ewing's team in the NCAA final. Like it just that that sort of sets a scene of what's to come as well for Patrick Ewing's career, you know, and, uh, you know, he's been tortured by Jordan as probably, you know, probably worse than anybody else. And it's like, oh, man, start straight away there. But uh, yeah, you know, that, that young that young confidence already and that self-belief that he had in himself like when the shot was coming to him he was taking it straight away and, and knocked it in i mean it, it's incredible just to see that those um seeds were planted so young and so early into his his career as a basketball player yeah well, on that, that on that in north carolina shot i am not a college connoisseur whatsoever but watching that felt like hmm I haven't missed much in college ball. It looks the exact <laughs> same. It looks the exact. Move the ball side to side. Yep, yep. Somebody will get an open shot. Yeah. The entire defense is going to swing over here. We'll move it over here, and that guy is going to get an open shot. 30 seconds to get MJ an open shot. Boom. It, that's college basketball now, is it not? It, look, it looks so similar. Yeah, maybe except a three-pointer instead of a baseline Yeah, that jumper. was a long two. I was yeah. surprised nobody got out to a guy shooting a long two. Yeah. They weren't even really close. Not even anywhere team. close to him. He's like, they didn't even know I was going to shoot it. They didn't expect it. There was like 30 seconds left in the game. Somebody had to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I actually think that's a bit of a lie. They were not, like, they were, there was two defenders right by him. But the problem is Jordan just jumps like 40 inches yeah. up in the air. And, like, yeah. no guy's jumping or has a hand up. I mean, they were by him. But, my God, he leaps so high on his jump shots. That stuck out to me from watching these yeah. first two episodes. Um, it's just so funny to compare... MJ's, you know, basketball playing in, in that era to today. Like, did we see, I don't think we did, maybe outside of like the, a quick shot of him hitting a three and doing the shrug um, versus the Blazers in the finals as a little setup thing. Did he take a three in this? <laughs> in any of this footage? <laughs> yeah, like, it's happen. all yeah. attacking the rim and it's all yeah. those little jumpers and a lot yeah. of the baseline or whatever at the elbow. Like, it's just so glaring. It's like, this was a completely different style of basketball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. part of the story, right? 49 and 63 against the Boston Celtics in the garden with no threes attempted. Pretty incredible. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. insane. And it's uh, just his shot just looks so cool because of his giant hands and how yeah. high he gets and how he just, he really does just, he stays in the beat. Oh, sorry, he stays in the air like a beat longer than everybody else. Yeah. He just Well, you he see that, that one where, he's, where he blocks that shot in college and he whacks his head on the backboard yeah. as well. I mean, he's just up so high. And then you see him on the sidelines where they've got the ice on the back of his neck and head area there. Like, yeah, athletically, I mean, those young legs were just incredible and, and uh, just so explosive. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, like every time in that game, it's that third game, I think, of his, of his NBA career against the Bucks where they're down and uh, then they have that big fourth quarter. And even then you see him jump and he just like, he does seem to almost catapult himself up in the air higher than everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's incredible stuff. Yeah, There's a great fan quote, a fan quote that was asked about Michael Jordan. Why is he so special? And the fan, a woman says, there are no words to describe him. He is poetry in motion. And yeah. that's just him hanging in the air was basically this, that first entire hour. And it was awesome to watch. And then, I always love watching practice footage and seeing guys just shoot around 
because I've had some some fun just being sort of on that on court level, seeing Kevin Durant uh, warm up and seeing MJ grab a ball and shoot it and have extra fingers. It seems like on the basketball, <laughs> with, like he flicks that that pinky. He doesn't need that extra pinky finger, but he's got it. Like how large those hands are, Mitts. and that's why part of why he was so great, why he hangs in the air as well. And then the third thing why he was so great is that. He didn't do cocaine like the rest of his teammates. I think that was a good message, a good message for everybody. He had a great knee-slapping laugh when that reporter asked him or the interviewer brought up the headline that the Bulls were a traveling cocaine circus before he came along. There's MJ. <laughs> He's dying. I had dying laughing. Just don't do cocaine. I think that's the message that you can be Michael Jordan. Yeah, I like how he slips in there too. Like at the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't do cocaine, I didn't smoke weed, I didn't drink, and like yeah. this, like he has to say at the time because yeah. while he's being interviewed, he's drinking some <laughs> Hennessy and he's got yeah. a cigar beside yeah. him. I love that part too. I think it's a Scotch. I wouldn't go with a Hennessy. But uh, I don't know. I thought he was a Hennessy man. Really interesting. Yeah, Scotch and a cigar, I think. But yeah, probably that makes more sense. I guess you can have a cigar and some Hennessy. As well. Yeah, probably for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, we heard Trey say he loved that Roy Williams quote about you know the turning it on and off, but he just never turned it off. Um, Lee, did you have a favorite either interviewee or a quote that stuck out to you from episode one? Well, I, I guess uh, it's just more the story of Jerry Krause. Like they they kind of got straight into that there, and I think the thing with that I thought, and 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 you know, I did sort of know some of this again through reading books and being around at the time that he was a pretty lonely figure, Jerry Krause. You know, no one seemed to stick up for him, and no one seemed to you know help him out. And like those couple of times when he does get uh, when Jordan takes a few shots at him, no one's there sort of defending him. I mean, of course, it's Michael Jordan. No one's going to stand up to the greatest player of all time and, and try to, you know, put him in his spot on the team. But I just wondered throughout, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf knew what was going on, but he and I think he could have sort of stepped in and tried to ease a little bit of that tension, but he never he was sort of happy to just let it play out. Um, you know, and Kraus, like I I'm sort of surprised that at some point Reinsdorf didn't almost choose Kraus or or the team and, and maybe try to separate it like that because it wasn't a healthy relationship it wasn't a healthy environment well he chose Kraus that's the that's the well he chose Kraus sure yeah I guess I guess that's right he did choose Kraus but um he could have you know seeing how much tension and friction there was between the front office and and the players I'm surprised that Reinsdorf didn't try to do a little bit better uh try to easing that you know and there's that famous quote there of Jerry Kraus that uh, that he claims is a misquote Mm -hmm. saying that organizations win championships not players and he's saying he said the whole quote is, it's not just players that wins uh, championships, it's organizations and players, it's everybody. Yeah. But of course, the part of the quote, the meaty part of the quote is what gets attributed to him saying, I, I basically, you know, me in the front office won this championship, not the Bulls and the and the team. So you can understand why the, why the players resented him, you know, for sort of trying to take all that sort of credit. Having said that, I think Jerry also did a good job in a lot of ways in getting that team together, you know, making the trade for Pippen and drafting Horace Grant and that huge trade, of course, for Bill Cartwright. That's a major, major moment in this whole franchise here. So he did some good things, but of course his ego was as big as anybody else's as well. And so he, he wanted full credit for everything. Even though, uh, you know, like, as Jordan and, and the players say throughout, like it's the players who go out there and, and win and perform. So I thought that storyline and, and just the sort of back and forth between everyone there, again, really, that, that, that to me is a big part of the story, how they were able to succeed, even though the working relationship was uh, very, very bad. Of course, with Phil Jackson as well. 
So I you mean, know, Jerry was... Krause was booed on ring. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> like it, and like you, it's audible. Like they didn't pump up the volume. Uh, yeah. I don't think on that one, JD. That's just straight Chicago saying, "Boo this man! You're trying to break up a dynasty, you idiot!" Even though you helped build it, what are you doing? Oh yeah, I mean, I remember hating that guy growing up. Uh, but also, just crazy to think that the NBA 30 years ago, you could just walk into the owner's office and say, "Actually, you know, I work for your baseball team. I'd like to be the GM for your basketball team," <laughs> yeah. and you can do it. And the guy's in the Hall of Fame now for building an incredible team. Mm. But it's also such a, a tough situation for Jerry Krause, too, right? He does build an incredible team around Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan is there, and he was there before Jerry Krause showed up. So, I mean, there's no way he'll ever get the credit he's really due, and especially now, you know, he has passed away, and he and the documentary is coming out now, so he doesn't have really a chance to defend himself. So hopefully we get a little bit more uh, Jerry background uh, as well as the series goes on. Yeah, it's so wild to think, too, with Kraus. Um, like, do the Bulls, because Jordan wants to take everything, you know, obviously personally, and it's going to, you know, he's going to use it as motivation. I mean, as we saw, of course, in his Hall of Fame speech where he just, like, recalled every time anyone had ever slighted him or said he couldn't do something, blah, 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 blah. And in a weird way, Jerry Krause, um, you know, contemplating trading Pippen, contemplating whether this is the end of the dynasty. Oh, Phil Jackson, okay, we don't really maybe want you or need you, but we'll give you one more year. In a weird way, him doing this may have actually helped the Bulls and Jordan win another title, right? Hmm. Because like they're almost like they're almost not even playing the other teams in the league now. They're just playing against it's like they're winning a championship in spite of their own front office. Yeah, well, yeah, that, and that that sort of goes back as well to the thing with Phil Jackson saying, "I don't care if you go eighty-two and zero. This is the last season yeah. you're coaching, no matter what." Like, how does that show any sort of confidence or motivation, even for Phil to, you know? Well, I guess Phil can say, "Well, screw you. If we win it, then great." But it's just that bad chemistry and that bad feeling that, like, I don't even really want you coaching. You know, we talk, They showed as well how for his own uh, wedding or uh, his daughter's wedding, I guess it was that um, Phil Jackson wasn't even invited, but Tim Floyd was, who, who took over as coach after, after that season. So, you know, just the, that sort of tension and that sort of um, ugly, toxic working environment, to me, it, it's just incredible that they were able to succeed. And, and again, going back to my point earlier, that, that's where I'm sort of surprised where Jerry Reinsdorf didn't just sort of step in and say, I'll handle all this stuff, you handle, you know, the other stuff maybe, because uh, I can't have people just openly at war with each other among the in, within the franchise yeah but again in a weird way jordan relishes i feel yeah. like yeah like I, I know what you mean yeah turmoil and like yeah. the ultimate f you to that guy like he, he yeah. actually like almost gets off on it and like takes his game to another <laughs> level he just he used like there's so many examples where he's used that type of stuff so it's yeah. just this backwards way of getting to another championship Despite, yeah. you know, Jerry Krause contemplating whether he was going to blow it up or not. No, I, I get that. And it is it is a fair point to make. And it's probably true as well, because Jordan just always wanted to sort of prove people wrong. But it just felt to me, again, at that stage of their relationship, having been there together for so long, that you wouldn't have wanted it still at that yeah. point. But, uh, but you know, again, I guess it just shows that you can still work under those conditions if, you know, when, when people do their own jobs their own way, they don't have to like each other. Yeah, but the sad part is obviously the way they they all broke up at the end of the '98 season after a championship. You know, I, I think Steve Kerr tried to imitate what Phil Jackson did by calling it 
the last dance with this Warriors team last year. He said it multiple times. He mm-hmm. didn't put it on the front of a duo tang that he handed out to the the team like uh, Phil Jackson did. But <laughs> with uh, with the Warriors, he definitely felt like you know he was saying we don't know what the heck's going to happen after this year. So let's try and put it out on the floor and or put it all out on the floor and try and win. They obviously didn't win. A lot a lot had to do with injuries. A lot had to do with that team from the north. Uh, but, you know, the, the, MJ was at that podium said multiple times, he said, you know, we should be able to defend our championship. And that was before the 97-98 season. And then they win it and they, they don't end that run with a loss, which obviously is part of the glory, but also, you know, sad that they didn't at least get even another year that Pippen yeah. wasn't re-upped from that two point whatever million he was making and giving him a you know a 15 million dollar contract just to see them try and do it at least lose before they break it up but i guess it also shows how tough it is for any franchise to go on a dynasty run it's just it seems like nothing ends well when they uh when when all these runs happen you know obviously the lakers of the early 2000s this Warriors team that just happened right here. Doc Rivers even tried to do it with a Clippers team that never won. He tried to say this is the last time we're getting together. It's it it always it's tough. It's just it's it's a very difficult thing to I guess to end well. Um, but I guess that's the part of MJ. Maybe it's just great he didn't never lost the finals as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, did you have a favorite interviewee or quote, Tess, from this one? Interview or quote? I mean, I I got them all in there. I think I snuck them in with the cocaine and the. Uh, um, I mean, we can. When are we going to go through the Kraus berating? If you're a short person watching this documentary, <laughs> that, that must have hurt. That must have hurt. Just every single person who's under whatever five nine. If you're a man under five nine, I mean, that's that was rough watching Jerry Kraus get killed for being a short guy. Yeah, I I felt terrible for him. That scene where he's like, "Oh, those are the pills you take to keep you short," and like that's bad enough. But at least he's around, like you know. Everybody who's six foot eight, seven feet tall, he's around a lot of tall guys, but then he hits him with or all of those diet pills and then like kind of yeah. walks away with a jaunty laugh like <laughs> I just completely belittled you and everybody's Good on my man. side. And there's oh. like a camera right there, there's like twenty people right there. Yeah. It's like he obviously knew what he was doing, MJ. And he's like, I don't care, I hate this guy. Mm. And it's what's wild about all of that, and maybe we're gonna see more of it in the uh in the episodes to come, it's like just that Jerry Krause is like, nope, I'm going on the bus still. I'm going to yeah. be around the team all the time. Like, wouldn't you at one point, like, I don't know if you just sort of hated each other and it's pretty damn awkward and you're sort of, you know, coming to blows with the most popular athlete maybe of all time or at least on the short list. Like, maybe just avoid being around the team. And uh, I guess he was a stubborn little guy as well. He was, uh, no, I'm, I'll show my face. I'll... I'll I'll take it on the chin and maybe even throw it back a little bit. So kudos to him. I couldn't believe, like, even there's that one shot where, like, uh, they're starting to get on the bus and they just, like, zoom in on Krause and it's like, you don't know if anything was said or a look was uh, had between the two while someone was getting on. But, man, it's like you can just feel the tension. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I'm looking forward to the, you know, because they they, they talked about how Scottie Pippen just absolutely berated him on the bus. So I, I guess we're going to see a little bit of that, um, you know, later in the episodes here. But, uh, you know, and, and guys were saying like, like he went too far and, you know, that. But, but you can understand Scotty's position because, you know, he felt that he was not only underpaid, but completely disrespected by Kraus, you know, trying to trade him and trying to move on from him. So, you know, Scotty had a, had a, had a, had a bone that he wanted to pick there with uh, Jerry Kraus and he wasn't able to, 
make any progress in getting a new contract from the owner. So I guess he just took it out on uh, on, on Jerry Krause. So it will be interesting to see if just how nasty that sort of spat gets and how much of it we get to see. I guess one interesting thing, I forget the reporter's name, who, who basically psychoanalyzed Jerry Krause and said uh, he was a fat kid growing up. He needed he needed the credit you know, for building this team. And I guess it sort of speaks to what Trey said. Now that Jerry Krause has passed, he can't defend himself and, and yeah. at least – at least be there doing these testimonials. Like, you know, obviously people discredit Jerry Reinsdorf um, and, and the way he handled things. People are doing that with Jerry Krause. Uh, and it, he, unfortunately, he can't even tell you what he was like as a kid or, you know, at least defend his entire worldly view and all the thing. And he doesn't, he's not going to get the credit he deserves for, the, you know, those mid-80s moves uh, that Lee sort of went through uh, a bunch of those moves. And I guess he's not able to tell you that. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe the sad stuff we heard about Scottie Pippen, uh, you know, we'll get to in, in uh, episode two. We would hear about with Jerry Krause a little bit more of the the background of his early upbringing. But uh, this reporter, I, I, again, I forget his name. He just said he was a fat guy, and he always needed. He's always a fat kid who just needed to. He 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 was just always picked on, really, and and he needed to get more credit than he got. So. It was a good. It was a good line, but and this guy, uh, this reporter, obviously, he obviously hated Jerry Krause as well. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, had, he had a dislike for it, which is a theme of, uh, yeah. I guess, of this whole documentary. Yeah, even Reinsdorf says right at the beginning when he was hiring him, everybody told me stay away from this guy. Everybody hates him, but I hired him anyways, and it worked out until it didn't work out. There's a quote from Phil Rosenthal uh, in the David Halberstam book where he says Jerry Krause was a person who deserved more credit than he got but wanted more credit than he deserved. And that's uh, an impossible spot to be in really. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, there was like 130 people, I think interviewed for this documentary series. And by the way, I feel like at the end of all of this, after 10 hours of this, we're going to be going, man, I would have watched another 10 hours. I just have this feeling like how much was left on the cutting room floor or why didn't you explore that story more or whatever. But my three favorite, um, interviewees from this episode one, one, Jordan's mom, Dolores, <laughs> for, she looks incredible. Yeah. I don't know when that was filmed, but she looks like, Nora pointed out, she was like, she looks like the exact same age as Michael Jordan. <laughs> she does, and like, if yeah. you look, like, go watch, you're like, oh my God, yeah, like, absolutely they could be the same age. And that's his mother. Yeah. So she looked fantastic. And that was a great little part where, and, and a smooth, and JD, I'm interested to hear your take on it, like the idea of like, handing MJ, your subject of your documentary, um, the iPad and saying, hey, watch this, and then have them react to, in this case, Jordan's mom reading the little letter that he once wrote to her from UNC. What do you think about that that strategy as a filmmaker? Oh, my God. This is great. Well, not only do we get to hear the letter, which was really sweet and cute, and uh, and it elicited the emotional response that we were looking for from from both of them. She was mm-hmm. touched and and uh, with a happy memory, and he was touched to see his mother touched by the uh, by the letter itself. It was great. It was really good. Yeah, it's so cool. I think there's more of that to come too throughout the documentary, like this idea of like handing MJ the iPad <laughs> and uh, hey, watch this person actually react to something else you have done or something like that. It's really cool. Yeah, I heard uh, episode. Four is all about stamps, you know. Michael Jordan needs his stamps. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's mailing letters like crazy. Uh, the other two uh, interviewees, 
I mean, Lee, I think I saw you tweet, Barack Obama described as former Chicago <laughs> yeah. resident. Ah, that was unbelievable like that. Because <laughs> so I was watching it and I'm like, you know, you sort of sort of just assume it's going to say former president or whatever. And just it got to the end, I thought, I think that just said like former Chicago resident. So I had to <laughs> yeah. like scroll back and I'm like, that is just a brilliant thing to add in there. for. Uh, and they did the same thing with Bill Clinton later on, uh, you know, former Arkansas governor, I think it said for him. But uh, yeah, just just to put that in there, just adds, a, it's, a, it's a little quality, little touch to add in there that just, um, you know, helps set the scene, I think, for the for the whole thing. But why didn't, why didn't Bill Clinton get former Arkansas resident and... <laughs> Barack yeah. or former Illinois senator. I mean, that was... That's right. Well, you just got to mix it up stuff. a little bit, you know. The, <laughs> <laughs> the final uh, the final person interviewed in episode one that I loved, just because he's the coolest looking guy on the planet, Pat Riley. Oh, oh man. Yeah. So uh, yeah. damn cool in yeah. that shot. <laughs> just his entire appearance and obviously yeah. the way he like speaks, it's just, uh, that was just perfect. But I mean, across the board... Especially with all like these long time, um, you know, Chicago beat writers and stuff like that, and then and then you have like yeah, the upper echelon of presidents and like just, I mean, everybody has really an MJ sort of story. Um, but I thought a lot of the people they're using, of course, have a personal connection of some sort to them. So they're, they're knocking it out of the park with. Uh, I mean, I guess when you do 130 of them, you're going to get some gold in there. Yeah, and I mean, even, you know, to me, this was kind of the first episode was just the overview, right? And you're just seeing little things in there that you just can't wait to see how they play out. Because in the press leading up to it, Jordan was worried about how he was going to come off uh, throughout this documentary. And through the first two parts, I'm like, he seems intense and tough, and you know, but nothing that was too crazy. But you see, like, that scene where Ron Harper is joking around with Scotty Burrell. And you know that Jordan has said some of the stuff with Scotty Burrell I think people are not going to like. But he just, like, gives him a dirty look. He gets yeah. mad at him for celebrating a championship that's not really a championship. But that, to me, is like, I don't know, Scotty Burrell, you're getting a little too jokey here for just showing up, yeah. knowing what's coming down the line. Like, how terrible <laughs> is he going to be to him? When Scotty Burrell asks him for a hug and he just gives him the most disdainful look, like, how yeah. dare you ask to touch me? Yeah. I think Scotty uh, Burrell played a little too early, I think. he would. Uh, Scotty yes. Burrell would, would be perfect in today's era. Like, Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson... There's Scotty Burrell a few decades later, you know, that that to the personality wise anyways, he'd fit he'd fit better now, I think. Any other funny moments from episode one or random observations that anyone wanted to throw in there? I loved the uh, the score, uh, the guy that uh, scored the episode or I guess the whole series is Thomas Caffey. And he's done, he did the Andre the Giant doc and the Carter Effect and other sports documentaries. And I noticed in this first episode, not so much the second, but it all leads up to that track uh, by the Alan Parsons Project, the, 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 uh, their theme song, Sirius, it's yeah. called. And uh, everybody knows this, I guess. But uh, he took little bits of it, it seemed. He was playing with the melody throughout and there was little hints of it. It was very subtle, but uh, it all led up to uh, the ring ceremony, which I, I love that part of it. Oh, wow. I'll have to catch that on a rewatch. Nice little note there, JD. Anybody else? Uh, great line from Jordan when uh, they got to talking about rebuilding, and he drops, Cubs have been rebuilding for 42 years. Crowd goes <laughs> crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, you're employed by the owner of the Sox. Nice one right there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the hat watching was incredible. 
A lot of the beret, obviously <laughs> a Kangol was there. I forgot that Jordan used to wear that little beanie that would just kind of cover just the top of his head when he showed up wearing that with a Jordan sign on. I was like, who is this guy? But then eventually they show his dad and he's wearing like a gigantic corduroy hat. I was like, okay, so it comes from a, this is a family thing. Everybody's <laughs> wearing crazy hats in the Jordan family. And I got to say, I would say Jordan had a tucked in t-shirt 100% of the time. Yeah. The guy's tucked in at all times. Yeah, Nora noticed that too. She's like, was that a thing? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess MJ did it a lot. It's because it was, it's really glaring when he's wearing like the Red Bulls jersey or a White oh, Bulls yeah. jersey. And he's got like black track pants and like super <laughs> tucked it in. It's just like, whoa, that's a power look. Um, but yeah, I guess he did do that a lot. You've been starting to do it too, Trey. Uh, I'm going 100% tuck this summer after watching this. That and I'd like to maybe if I if I have to dress up for some reason maybe I'll get a banker shirt. When's the last time you saw somebody wearing the blue shirt with the white collar? That was a thing back in the '90s too. The suits are great. They could fit two people easily. I'm like cool. Bill Wennington must have bought suits for everybody and then just handed them down. Yeah, I mean I told you guys about my uh, hashtag TBT the uh, the photo I was uh, pushing out there last week. Oh yeah, that suit that I'm rocking in that to prom would have fit right in. Uh, during this bull's run because it's big, it's big and baggy, just hanging off me. Um, that's that was the look. That was quite the look. All right, before we break down episode two of the Last Dance, a quick word from one of our sponsors. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. But if you are dressing like your grandpa, it is pretty great. I personally enjoyed the toothless dentures they throw in. Gingivitis not included. <laughs> Next one, we felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day. So we left. What I love about the Black Tux, me, Tasmalis, what I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. You have got absolutely nothing to do right now. It's time you buy yourself a suit from the luxury of your couch. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent it, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Here's where you save your money. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code DUNKS. That's theblacktux.com, code DUNKS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Before sitting down uh, to, to start this series, I was trying, I don't know about you guys, like to absorb and read everything I possibly could um, about it or about, of course, the, the Bulls dynasty and, and that particular year. And, you know, so either an athletic article or ESPN or Kelly Dwyer, whoever was writing about it, I was reading it all, mainly also because I was bored, because what else are we going to do? But ESPN's Ramona Shelburne, she wrote something that stuck with me because she said, this isn't the definitive documentary about one of the greatest players of all time, Michael Jordan. It's a documentary about one of the greatest teams of all time, the 97-98 Bulls, with Jordan as the leading character. And I think we quickly saw that 
in episode two, because this really was, for a good chunk of it, um, the Pippin episode, right? Or a lot about Scottie Pippin, the contract holdout, and where he came from, you know, the poverty and his, and the issues with his family that I had not even really little recollection of um, with his father and one of his siblings and stuff like that. And, and this that's what I'm loving already about this doc. It's not just MJ. It's like, you know, we're going to get a Rodman and we're probably going to get like a Phil Jackson. Maybe we get even some role player stuff. Who knows? But this was, uh, I thought this episode was even better than the, uh, you know, the table setting episode one. Would you agree with that, Lee? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I, I liked the angle for Scotty Pippen because he grew up in a, a really small town. And, you know, you didn't really think he was going to make it as a basketball player at the start. And then he has that incredible growth spurt where he grows like five inches in one summer, which is just an incredible thing to happen. And then he transforms into this uh, dynamic basketball player that Jerry Krause absolutely must have. Uh, and then they have to swing a trade for him to get him. So, you know, like his whole story, the, the fact that he even ended up on the Bulls is quite unique because in those days, scouting was a lot more quiet like there wasn't you know people weren't sharing clips and videos and things like that if you knew about a guy you had to sort of try to keep it under wraps so it didn't get out there too much um but then and then of course the the whole situation with scotty you know the the we know about his family life there you mentioned there but then him getting the credit and the and the uh you know reward for being the player who michael jordan absolutely said is the second you know the best teammate he could have had and wanted to keep him there but he had to sort of be a, a protector for him in some ways like that as well because Scotty was upset with the franchise. You know, he demands a trade later in the uh, in the episode there and they tried to trade him. It's incredible that he wasn't traded when yeah. you consider all those factors there that, you know, Jerry, uh, Jerry Krause says there was a lot of trades out there. They couldn't get one done and Scotty said he wasn't coming back either. So again, for all the obstacles that Scotty and the Bulls had to overcome to get they were where they were was great. But, but Scotty's whole family life as well added to that fact, um, just, just made it, you could sort of see that he was dealing with so many issues on the court in his professional life, but also in his private life. And um, it, again, it just gives whole more, uh, a lot more rounding to the character of who he is. Growing up, I was always shocked that somebody could come out of University of Central Arkansas. Like, how would you ever find somebody? But this was the most, like, college footage you've ever seen of Scottie Pippen. And he looks like Wilt Chamberlain. So, to me, I was like, wow. Okay, at least it makes sense that they would find out about this guy. There's that clip where he goes up and dunks on a guy and just does two flying knees right into his shoulders. I'm like, what? Is this guy still alive that got knocked down? Because Pippen just crushes him. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, what an incredible find by Jerry Krause. But you have to imagine... Pippen did go fifth in the draft. He's not an unknown guy by the time he gets to the mm. NBA, but like, oh my goodness, seeing him play in college was insane. Yeah, and you can you can make the debate, like, or the argument, I should say, that, I mean, Pippen's backstory of getting to the NBA is maybe even crazier than MJ's, right? Oh yeah, you would have to say so. I mean, coming from abject poverty, and he started, he was always, it was always said he was started as a walk-on, was kind of how I always heard the Pippen story, but to hear him say that he was actually the equipment manager, and then some guys started (laughs) doing poorly at school, so he just kind of talked his way into getting a scholarship, and then retired as one of the 50 greatest players of all time. Yeah, I love the footage, just because it was from literally the rafters of the arenas that he was playing with for Central Arkansas because the footage is not good at all. It was up in the last row, really, uh, because I guess those games weren't, you know, broadcast anywhere in 1986 and 87. Uh, fun to watch. Um, I am looking forward to uh, just the the 
everything Pippin now I agree with you Skeets that the second episode here of the, of the 10 episodes was a little bit more of a you know the human interest piece of, of yeah Scotty Scotty's upbringing and uh, the horrible accident of his second oldest brother as he said it was just a, a, a PE class a gym class where a wrestling move went wrong leaving his brother paralyzed uh, wild stuff and, and uh, you know Pippin is um, definitely the figure that you know i'm drawn to i i am empathetic towards and i and i side i side with even if he was yelling at jerry Krause and it was he had to be talked to at some point like all the reporters on the bus and even you know jerry reinsdorf had to look at pippin and say calm the down relax (laughs) but at the same time i'm definitely i definitely am team scott pippin (laughs) Uh, and and it always cool to see uh you know scott go to scotty mike go to michael yeah and um i i know that michael uh, you you mentioned ramona shelburne and i I mentioned it off the top of the episode i read ramona as well and she was clearly stated that michael i believe at some point you know when he's a lot closer to uh you know his deathbed really when when he's in his seventies or whenever whenever he'll actually allow people to talk about his early nineties and the gambling and his father passing away like this isn't the definitive Michael Jordan piece and I don't know that that just makes me excited for that if he's willing to to let that go but uh, like like Trey said about him giving the green light when LeBron won. I think this is the basketball story, and eventually we'll get the the Michael Jordan human interest piece. But the Scotty human interest piece is uh, is awesome. I love the yeah, yeah. I love the Pablo Torre had a tweet last night when Scotty Pippen speaks. My subwoofer turns my whole apartment <laughs> yeah. into the glass of water in Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo Torre, yeah, great tweet, Pablo. Yeah, yeah I guess that voice runs in the family because his brother Billy oh. Pippen, yeah. identical look, identical voice. I'm like, totally. okay, I guess you guys are just going to be twins by the time you're both 70 years old. It's nice yeah. to see Scotty Pippen growing into his voice and his face because I feel like he looked like an old man back in the 90s when he was playing for the Bulls, but now he's getting to be an old man, so it kind of fits. Did you know anyone, Trey, um, growing up again in Illinois, that was more of a Pippen fan than a Jordan fan? Like, did those people, did they exist? Did they? I mean, that's the question. Some people would say they would. Danny Selecki said he was a Scotty Pippen fan more than a Michael Jordan fan, but he also said if Kerry Wood has two 20 strikeout games, he should win Rookie of the Year. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, certainly there were people that would say Pippen was their favorite, but I feel like that's just a swerve. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I was, I remember as a kid, a massive Pippen fan, but even I can't lie and say, yeah. oh, yeah, I liked Pippen more than Michael Jordan. No, I just maybe liked him more than what you thought he was getting credit for. Like, oh, this guy really is maybe the second best player in the league. It is, it's wild to think that, that it's, there were, there were a couple of years where that's probably true, right? I mean, I think there are a handful of years where Pippen is arguably the second best player in the league. Um, and he's on the same team with the number one guy. Yeah, I, I think there's a case. I mean, yeah. you know, he was, I was on the dream team. I mean, he was uh, he was an incredible player, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't just that he did one thing. It was he was able to defend. He was one of the best defenders ever, and uh, you know, he could play the point. He could shoot. He could dunk. I mean, he had some of those uh, massive dunks. You know, we see it over Patrick Ewing, probably the most famous Pippen dunk. But you know, he was more than just a sort of complimentary piece. He was a star in his own right, who certainly thrived and uh, and uh, you know had moments where you know Jordan needed. Pippen to, to sort of carry the team and and it, and it did happen you know at times but of course 
Jordan was always the one that uh, you sort of it, it defaulted back to his team and his moment always whenever the game needed to be won. It has to be asked. Could Scotty score on his own enough to be the second best player in the NBA? Could he put it on the floor and, and score on his own to be a guy you could rely on to be the number one option as a go-to guy? He was pretty damn good when MJ wasn't there. I mean, yeah. he yep. was awesome. I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I don't know if he's uh well, he's not MJ. He's not like even like a Kobe or something like that. Was but you know, could he have been like more of a LeBron? You know, had given that opportunity. I don't know. It's sort of impossible, I guess, to say. Uh, they. I, I thought it was cool that like MJ is like, oh yeah, he was my best teammate. He was the best teammate I ever played yeah. with. And I mean, we like complement each other so perfect, um, which is so cool. And you know, this whole contract holdout thing too. Getting Pippen's backstory, I thought really brought that some clarity with the idea of like. You know, he took this. He took that super long contract. What was it? Seven years, eighteen million. Yeah. Because he came from nothing, and he's got family members to take care of, and like, yeah, that's still a goddamn lot of money. Um, you know, in retrospect, of course, you're like, oh man, you would have, you could have made like whatever, eighty million dollars more over the, those seven years, whatever. But you get why someone in that position would be like, yeah, okay, give me nearly twenty million dollars. Yeah, sure, I'll play for six, seven years, and then turns into one of the best players in the league, and then sure, then there's resentment. But at the time, you can see why that decision, I guess, was made probably from you know Pippen and, and his agent's side of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think there is any regret from Pippen for signing a long deal like that because like you see him saying, he's like, you saw how I grew up. This is what I needed to do. The problem is that as more and more money came into the NBA, he signed this deal in 91, and yeah. then by 94 – they could have renegotiated, you know. Yeah. Jordan was off the payroll. They could have definitely talked to Pippen and paid him like he should have been paid. Mm. Uh, but that's not a Jerry Reinsdorf thing. He told yeah. Pippen when he was signing the deal. I thought that's fascinating, too. Yeah. That he is basically yeah. bargaining against his own GM, saying, you, sh- you shouldn't do this. You should get some more money from this. And Pippen's like, I got to do it. I got to take the money. And, I mean, $18 million, no doubt, is life-changing money for Scottie Pippen and his family. But... I don't know. It just it just seems tough for Pippen to to have one shot at it and then never get another shot at it again until he's away from the Bulls. Yeah. I thought that was a fascinating moment there because you're right. Jerry Jerry Reinsdorf's almost saying, "No, this is crazy to sign that." But then you also see Jerry Reinsdorf later say, "Once you've signed your contract, don't come and talk to me again. Like you've signed it, that's it. No re- renegotiation." So, you know, it was almost like he was saying to Scotty there's a better deal out there for you but if you sign this I don't want to hear from you again you know crazy crazy sort of insight there because I don't think we would see that anymore where an owner is you know basically going against his own GM again for a star player like that I I thought that sort of dynamic was fascinating and I I sort of wonder as well why Reinsdorf didn't take over those negotiations then and 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 you know say to Jerry Krause like I'll handle Scotty he's he's one of our star players because 91 they'd won the championship so it was pretty clear that Pippen was a star on the rise. He was an all-star. Even then, you know, there was a there was a, a, an opportunity, I think, for Reinsdorf to just sort of be the father in this situation and say, "I'll take care of this, Jerry." But uh, to Kraus, but I guess uh, I guess that just didn't happen. He allowed Kraus enough rope to be able to go out there and, and do what he had to do. But uh, at the same time, he didn't ever sort of decide I'm going to decide I'm going to overrule here and, and do what's better for the team in the long term or for the yeah. player Jerry Reinsdorf because he doesn't seem all that human to me he seems like yeah. robotic in a weird way like it's either just so black or white with him yeah um, that's what that was sort of uh, and Nora made the same observation watching it. it's like this guy is so dry and he's just so matter of fact and he's like yeah. 
he doesn't, I don't know, he just, he lacks that sort of human quality or something about him. Maybe that's yeah. a part of it, Lee? I have no idea for sure. Maybe Every Trey once in a while, he would make a joke, and you're like, oh, that was a joke. That yeah. was actually a funny joke that you just made. But, uh, I mean, that's kind of the rep for Reinsdorf is that in every negotiation, yeah. he wants to win. He wants to get the money from you. And then as soon as that deal is signed, we're never talking about it again. You signed a contract. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. He's a shrewd businessman, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, business yeah. people, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, less less emotion, more smarts. Uh, <laughs> and it's odd to hear that they're both named Jerry. Uh, you know, it didn't really Two occur Jerry's. to me for a while that they're that you got a double Jerry. Although Jerry Krause is a Jerome, which uh, was uh, was surprising in retrospect. Watching Scottie Pippen, uh, you know, lament the the whole thing and, and lament Jerry Krause. There's uh, you know, it, it's obviously it's it's hard not to sympathize with with Scotty to some degree. And there's the moment where he he is angry and he says, "I will get my due. I will get my due." And, and I hope at the end of the doc in the tenth episode, when we get the uh, the notes afterwards and and you get the the post ninety eight notes, it will say that Scotty Pippen did go on to make some bucks in the NBA. In his next five seasons, he made you know nearly eight eighty million dollars, and mm-hmm. it's crazy to see. After he returned with for those stints with the the Rockets and, and the Blazers, that his highest paid years with the Bulls were when he came back in 03 and 04 for those two years. It's, it's bonkers to think that. Bonkers. Episode two, I mean, it's bookend um, by Pippen. Like, it starts, obviously, we're getting the backstory of Pippen, and then, yeah, sort of we come back around to him berating Krauss and all the on the bus and stuff like that, and really building towards that. But within this, I mean, there is a lot of MJ still. And, and Task, whether or not this is, um, yeah, going to be the definitive MJ doc that we, uh, that we get, and this is it, and this is the best it'll get, um, or maybe that's to come down the line, like you said, as he, as he ages even more and he's willing to share some of these more personal stories. We did get this, like, childhood um, MJ part and, and the cool clips, older clips of his father speaking and stuff like that. I thought that was really insightful, too, like, of, like, wow, maybe... Yeah, that's why MJ is maybe like that, like that whole father-son dynamic where, you know, get in the house. You don't even you don't even know what a Phillips screwdriver is, you dummy. Like, uh, you're not a man. Get in there with your mom and like him just trying to always, uh, you know, I guess like get the love of his father or prove to him that he was something else. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool that they, they slipped that in there. God, yeah, and I love his dad, and uh, I loved the character of his dad, and I you know, love the dynamic between him and Ronnie, his, his older brother, and uh, I guess it just proves every man has daddy issues. That's far. It's too much. It's too much to say. It's too much to say that. But a lot of men have daddy issues, just like MJ. MJ had daddy issues, uh, and yeah. So I, I, like you said, I hope, I hope that's revealed later on in a in a doc because as Ramona Shelburne said. Like, MJ just he he's not comfortable being now in his fifties with letting it all go. He's still in a battle battle with Father Time. He's still competitive with Father Father Time. He will not he will not give in quite yet. But maybe one day he will, and we'll we'll get even more of that stuff because it it is great. And it wasn't it was hard not to like uh, you know the story Pippin's backstory, and it was hard not to to love MJ's backstory there too. That spins into Jordan breaking his foot in 1985 and uh this story that i had no idea of um him secretly playing at unc oh yeah like didn't know that at all Uh, i'm definitely you know not an mj expert by any means but that was new to me and then even like 
when he comes back, he's limited to the 14 minutes per game, even though the Bulls are sort of in a the weirdest playoff run ever. <laughs> what do they make the playoffs with 30 wins or something yeah. like that? 52, yeah. Oh, yeah. my worst, goodness. It's, it's the second worst record ever. The, the, the worst record was actually the Bulls as well in like 67, 68. They went 29 go. and 53. But yeah, that, that I knew they had a bad record, but I thought it was like 38 and 44 or yeah. something like that, not 30 and 52. <laughs> and that is where, like, really the seeds of like mistrust right with uh yes. with ownership and like jerry Krause and like that's where that is really starts with mj specifically like this idea of like what do you no i'm not not playing or you only got me on these limited minutes like and you know yeah the doctors say 10 percent chance i could hurt myself but well what about the other 90 percent? like i want to play and if i play we're playing to win and i don't care who we're playing against what seed we are and all that like where you can see, like, it's so different to today's NBA where it's, like, a lot more of people would be like, no, don't play. Like, get a draft pick. Help yourself for the future. Set it up for the long run. But, you know, that's just not – that's not MJ's. Uh, that is not in his ethos to, like, play the long game. If I can play, I can play, and we're going to try and win. That's where it really starts, right? Like, that sort of, uh, you know, um, break between ownership and, and MJ and the players, I thought. Yeah, and a great a great quote there from Jordan when uh, when Jerry Reinsdorf said to him like you know you've got a ten percent chance of re-injuring it and if you do your career may be over and he said talks about the ninety percent and then he and then Jerry says well what if I what if you had a headache you know and I gave you uh, ten pills and nine of them could have uh, could cure the headache and one won't would you take it and one would kill you. One would kill you, yeah, and, and and he has to think about it for like less than a second. Then he's like, "Well, how bad's the fucking headache?" Like, <laughs> like, you know that that I think is just a a great sort of insight again into the drive of Jordan. That like he's willing to risk whatever it takes to win, which ultimately, you know, wasn't all that significant in the grand scheme of things. A young player and a young team, they weren't challenging for a title, as Reinsdorf says there. But Jordan still wasn't prepared to give up at any point on the season. You know, he wanted to win. He wanted to get into the playoffs. And, and, and just, again, to every single game for him was so important. And, and I thought it was great that, you know, you get, you get to that game against the Pacers where they have to win. And the, he's on the, he's on the, the, the stopwatch for, like, you, you're only playing 14 minutes, seven minutes a half. 14 minutes yeah, per game. That's I the know. other part. Like, and and so the coach. Much. Okay, this doesn't make sense, though, because in that game he played 28 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. so I guess it was fourteen minutes per half. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that. So it they was, said that wrong, right? Or it changed? I guess. Yeah, I think it changed when he first yeah. came back. He played thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, sixteen, and then they worked their way up. There you it go. wasn't just the fact that he was playing fourteen minutes, and then the regular season ends, and they're like, "Okay, go play 48. Yeah. that doesn't make any sense. It but uh, up yeah, a we got a yeah. I think we got a little uh, little cross wires here uh, for mm. the for the minutes limit. But yeah, I mean. Crazy to think what a sliding doors moment. Huh? If John Paxson yeah. doesn't hit that shot, uh, maybe we never see Jordan get 63 in the playoffs. Maybe the Bulls get the number one draft pick. They draft Patrick Ewing, and then they never win any championships. Yeah. It's it's interesting for me that it was Paxson who hit that game winner as well because, you know, you look at look at Jerry Reinsdorf's loyalty to Jerry Krause throughout, and then you look at where John Paxson up until, you know, well, he's still kind of on, on the uh, in, in the organization, but Jerry Reinsdorf, very, very loyal to uh, to his guys. And, and you know, John Paxson was <laughs> winning games for them back 
1986 there. Um, so, you know, he had a long-established relationship that, you know, you can sort of just see the, the beginnings of it back then. Um, but the fact that Stan... That Hallback- was crazy to me that he became basically what Jerry Krause became. He fought Vinny Del Negro over playing Joaquim Noah too many minutes over yeah. a minute limit. Like, yeah. how did how did he see what happened with Jordan and the Bulls and then become Jerry Krause out of it? That doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Well, I guess that does explain why he was around for another 15 yeah, years. I guess that's it. I mean, if that's uh, his relationship with Reinsdorf was the same as Jerry Krause, I guess I guess uh, Reinsdorf was okay with it. Uh, but the fact that Stan Albach was like, if you play a second over this this minutes limit, I'm going to get fired, and he didn't want to even go over it by 14 seconds. Uh, which you know, again, like that's just I guess I guess Stan Albach was like. If I do it, there's absolutely no way I'm not going to get fired. So he, he tried to at least keep his job in that sense. And mm-hmm. fortunately, it worked out for him uh, that they that they won that game and went on to make the playoffs. Yeah, they go to the playoffs, play the Celtics, 67-win team Celtics um, in the 86 playoffs. And Jordan, you, the famous game two, double overtime, yeah, 63, uh, five and six, he throws up. I had forgotten about it. He going for 49 in game one, too. Yeah. And it is... I will say it always blows my mind when you get the clips of Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, you know, like guys on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest players of all time. And they are, you know, at, at the time, not, not just now after seeing what Jordan became, but basically at the time saying like, this guy's the best basketball player I've ever seen. Mm. Like that is so wild to me that the greatest basketball players that a lot of people had ever seen are saying, oh yeah, this guy, this young guy. He's got. He's going to be the best if he gets the right guys around him. He's the best. He's. We can just tell, and it's so so surreal to me that they're admitting it. The most competitive people in the world, to some degree, saying, "Oh yeah, he's better than I am. He's just uh, you know doesn't have a team that I have right now." So crazy to me. Yeah, and some people regard that Boston Celtics '86 team as the best team ever sure. as well. And and here's Larry Bird, you know, the MVP, the star of that team saying man this is god dressed up as uh, or god in disguise as michael jordan out there and you see like it's it's pretty cool those clips how so many people different players try to defend jordan there's the classic rick carlisle there who looks like a, <laughs> looks like a, he looks like a schoolboy really yeah. out there and just yeah. kind of like really demoralized that he's like why am i even defending this guy but that that classic move where jordan you know dribbles under his legs three times and hits the jump shot larry bird's chasing him around yeah. trying to get close to him and he can't get anywhere near him and and yeah i mean you know quite humble of the celtics really bill walton's angry uh that, that he fouls <laughs> out in that game that you know these legends Dennis johnson who, a great yeah, defender Campbell, exactly yeah. you know the, this team this this legendary celtics team that has won championships already humbly kind of saying wow jordan's better than anyone on our team but we're just a better team really uh you know pretty fascinating moment there and, and, and again you talk about the athleticism that you see of jordan a couple of those plays where he jumps up and it's like He's taken three guys almost in the air and still getting the ball to drop, you know, taking the contact, getting to the free throw line. Like, just, uh, it, it's incredible to look back now just how much that he, he was so competitive and so driven and he was not afraid coming off that injury to really throw his body out there. You know, we, we talk, uh, we've talked a lot about Jal Morant this year. You know, he goes up there sort of um, haphazardly throwing himself into teams and into their defenses. You know, Jordan was doing that as well. Uh, He was a couple of years into his career, at least by then. But, you know, these younger guys not really knowing the consequences of of one bad uh, fall or one bad hit could uh, could knock you out for, you know, a season if you get it wrong. Do you think uh, Scott Burrell 
later on in life <laughs> said, uh, hey, MJ, congratulations on those uh, Miller player of the games in the 86 <laughs> Celtics series. And MJ just gave him a dirty look. Shut up. We didn't win anything. I hope that happened. Um, we get, uh, was there anything that uh, Tass or, or Trey, like, that stuck out to you from, you know, seeing these, these playoffs that, again, were a little bit before our time in terms of watching, you know, religiously basketball, this 86 playoff run? I'm sure you've seen the games and the clips and stuff, but anything that jumped out? How about going golfing with Danny Ainge in between yeah. during a playoff series? Are you kidding me? People would get killed if they did that now. But uh, Jordan uh, did 49 and then 63 after playing, I'm probably 36 holes knowing that guy. And I'm sure it was in intense holes with him as well. But uh, that was pretty That was pretty cool. I wish we would have actually seen Danny Ainge out there on the course. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just love the idea that Jordan's out there smoking Danny Ainge at golf. I'm sure Danny Ainge is probably a good golfer. He's obviously an athlete as well a baseball player as well um but i just love the idea of jordan going out dominating a basketball game dominating a golf match and then going out and having an even better basketball game meanwhile yeah. walt frazier like two years earlier is like this is a league of seven footers there's no way this guy can do it all himself yeah. within two years the best players in the league are like well our time is almost done here yeah how many quotes did we hear of, of former players saying He's six foot five. What? That's not big enough. And I guess that's where that 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 idea goes. Where, hey, you got a bigger player like Greg Oden in the draft. Got to draft him over Kevin Durant. I mean, that's that's where it comes from. It's been around for a very very long time. And uh, I was just looking at Danny Ainge's baseball card. I guess <laughs> Danny Ainge was a better baseball player than Michael Jordan. I'm not sure if he could beat him at golf, but he could mm. probably beat him at baseball if they uh, if they stepped up onto the hill. I'm, what position did Danny Ainge play? Was it pitcher, wasn't he? I thought he was an no, infielder. He was an oh, infielder, too. Yeah. He's a, yeah. You know who was a pitcher, though? Is... Scotty Burrell. First guy to oh. ever be drafted in the first round of both the MLB <laughs> draft and the NBA draft. I think he was a Blue Jay uh, pitching prospect, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so Might have learned Danny, from Dave right? Steed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Scotty Burrell, huh? Interesting. Yeah, Danny Ainge definitely played for the Jays. I just turned yeah. around. And looked at him. He was up on my wall here. <laughs> nice. But beside Jim Clancy and Jim Gantner. Um, yeah, some baseball dudes. Yeah, that was uh, it was a blast to, to watch all that. Uh, also, I, I mentioned all the old the old idea that you got to be bigger to be good. Well, the old everybody this year looking at the standings and being like, well, there's a sub-500 team in the playoffs. Well, Number one, we just talked about the 30 and 52 Bulls went to the postseason, which is nuts when <laughs> you think so about crazy. it. And their first eight games of the season that year, they're four and four. They didn't score 100 points in any of those eight games. Gross. They lost, <laughs> they lost to the Hawks. Gross. Basketball also, was different back then. Also, gross uh, watching Jordan have to putt. Jesus, get this guy a custom putter. Why do you have to bend over? Holy moly. He's crunched over like us playing like mini putt with like a like a little two foot club. It was crazy looking. Yeah, actually I thought back. actually I thought that may have been the, the the worst thing that Michael Jordan did in these these first two episodes. He was worried about his character being questioned. Well Scottie Pippen said Michael Jordan him Michael Jordan bought him a set of golf clubs only to lure him in into gambling on golf to lose money. How, if he really did that, I, I know Michael Jordan's the most competitive dude in the world, but if he really tried to take money off a guy who signed a seven-year, $18 million contract, was making pennies in comparison to MJ, and was sending it back to his family, 
I mean, that's the most asshole thing, Michael. <laughs> that's low. Yeah, anybody but Pippin. Take anybody but yeah, anybody's exactly. money but Pippin after that contract. Take yeah, it from Scotty, that two sport athlete. We, Bro, uh, not Pippin. <laughs> we um we then get at one point, you know, again, Kraus building the team and uh and and getting some obviously some uh, some credit for like you said, Lee earlier, getting Horace Grant, getting Pippin in eighty seven and, and then doing the uh Trading Oakley, who was uh, the enforcer, MJ's buddy, too, for Bill Cartwright in 88. I wish we had a chance to hear from Oakley on that matter. Because that is, uh, you know, that's a crazy what if. Cartwright was huge for them. I get that. But, um, man, it's it, Oakley goes to the Knicks and then just gets embarrassed a lot of the time mm. by uh, MJ's Bulls later on. I would have yeah, loved to hear to him because we saw him in the dock. And you would think we'll hear more from him at some point just because, you know, the Knicks rivalry and yep. the friendship with Jordan. But, I mean, there was basically one scene of Charles Oakley as a youngster playing with the Bulls, and he's just slapping Scottie Pippen in the face. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe it was a tough call to ship him out, but also he's just slapping people in the face. And Scottie Pippen's like, I'm <laughs> just happy to be here. Nice slap, bud. Yeah, I've seen, that was that was one of those clips I had seen before. I'm sure you have as well, yeah. Trey. I remember that making the blog rounds once, like way, way back, maybe in the Ball Don't Lies days. That clip somehow surfaced of Oakley just pushing Pippin up against a blackboard and slapping him. Like, God. Weird way to show in love. Nora's number one question watching this was, why is this taking so long to come out? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, this is like, what, how, how old is this now? 22 years? 20, yeah, mm-hmm. 23, what are we at? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So I'm like, well, yeah, the, the backstory is that, uh, um, what is it, Michael Thompson's brother, of all people, is like, goes to NBA Enter- Entertainment and says, you know, we should be filming this. They are the Beatles. Like, so we should be documenting well, the Bulls worked, right now. He worked they, there, right? I mean, Andy yeah. Thompson, as well as Adam Silver at the time, yeah. was yeah, head of the right. NBA yeah. Entertainment, basically that's exactly said, right. we need to document this thing. Those those two guys said we need to, to do it. And then Michael Jordan was given permission. He would have, be able to approve absolutely everything in the documentary. Yeah. And that's the only way they were allowed to, to film it. And so he didn't green light it until 2016, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's yep. exactly what I told her. I was like, yeah, other people had tried to do stuff with all this footage and, you know, but could never get it off the ground because they could never get really MJ to, to sign off on it. And uh, he finally has. And now we have, you know, the director um, getting two years to work on this and obviously the budgets of ESPN and Netflix to throw at it. So, uh, yeah, that's why we have it now. But it is, uh, it's strange that this footage has just been, or a lot of this footage has just been sitting, you know, in Secaucus, right? <laughs> just in a mm-hmm. vault somewhere. And uh, finally saw the saw the light of the day. Uh, Lee, did you have a funny moment or random observation or even like uh, I don't know, or never before seen clip that you loved from episode two? Bob Costas, young Bob <laughs> Costas, WGN. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's incredible because you see Bob and he still looks great today. You know, the hair looks great, but seeing him back then, the sort of blonde. Uh, almost moppy sort of hairstyle there was uh, was pretty fascinating. But it just shows as well, you know, guys like him who have been around for the entire journey, you know, seeing Jordan as, as a young Jordan and then being, um, you know, still sort of a, a sports journalist now, sports reporter now, like he's been around and he could have seen everything because he calls that last game too. Uh, of Jordan, you know, he, he's on the NBC call for the uh, for the '98 series. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's good. I'm sure we're going to see more from Bob, but. Um, I certainly hadn't seen that clip of him before where, uh, where he was just the young man, young, handsome man, making the rounds, reporting on the, uh, on the, on the sports. So is he a Chicago guy, Trey? 
Uh, I don't know. I actually didn't know he was WGN Chicago, so perhaps, perhaps not. But I just know he was looking like Mark Hamill out there. (laughs) (laughs) Trey, what about you in terms of funny moments or random observations? Uh, Pippin, to me, obviously had the line of the episode when he was explaining why he didn't want to have surgery on his ankle, and he got it done right before the season started. I just didn't, you know, want to f*** my summer up. (laughs) Scottie Pippen just wanted to party, man. The guy's on top of... The world just won his fifth championship. He just wants to relax, have fun in the summer, and then get his ankle fixed right before the season started. But I thought that was so brilliant to have that contrasted with Jordan breaking his foot his second season and then basically rehabbing it himself, saying, there's no way I'm going to stay away from basketball as long as you guys want me to. Meanwhile, Pippen, in the midst of a title run, is willing to – jeopardize team success because he's mad at the GM, which, uh, I mean, he was understandably mad, but I think it just really factors into how angry Jordan was at the start of the 97-98 season because it's all these things. He's basically being ushered out. His running mate is intentionally missing the season, and he knows his coach is going to be gone as well. Meanwhile, the one guy who keeps showing up on the bus is a guy he despises. So even Jordan saying he is angry to me is like a big step because if Michael Jordan's willing to admit he was angry and mean to people, he must have been very angry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Jordan continuously calling himself, as she did it twice, I think, during during this episode, was shocking to me. A guy who likes to hold his grudges in MJ, uh, I thought would sort of understand that Scotty would have a grudge for for several seasons. But uh you know, he wanted to win, I guess, and that wasn't that wasn't the winning thing to do was to to party that summer. But I guess I guess the Chicago was happening in the summer of nineteen ninety seven and you just wanted a couple <laughs> months to uh to throw down with Bob Cost uh, Bob Costas probably wasn't around then. But uh, other guys <laughs> in, in, in Chicago. J D did you have uh anything that stuck out to you from episode two that you liked? Uh, well, from both of the episodes, I love the way, just from a storytelling point of view, uh, how they would put a pin in something and then they would go back in time. And the way visually how they did that was really cool. Just like a, a snapshot with the year and then you're sort of you go backwards in time yeah. along a literal timeline. Uh, stylistically, it was awesome, especially for young people, I, I think, as well. Like, uh, you know, people we we remember. Uh, decade to decade that MJ was there in the or in North Carolina at the beginning of the 80s but these are all just numbers to young people yeah you know, who were who were born in, in the late 90s and the early 2000s so yeah seeing that numerical the the, the year I, I think is is pretty important and also um, just to note um, not stylistically but Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen even back in those days used the word like a lot, and I, and, and I thought I thought that was a thing of the the 2010s. Uh, I thought that was just a commonplace in the 2010s. I didn't think that existed in the 2000s. We watched uh, Love and Basketball, where Omar Epps' character uses the D for euphemism for penis back in 2000. I didn't think that existed back then, but I had no idea that people said like so much in the 80s. Oh or, yeah. I had no idea. My, yeah, you tell me, JD. My dad used to be all over me. Every time I said like, <laughs> every time at the dinner table, he would, me and my brother, we would just, it was horrible. He would beat it out of us. Not literally, but just, <laughs> like, he would just like, like, like. Is it like this or is it not like this? And I caught myself doing it to my own kid the other day. So, yeah. Yeah, I've bad. heard you do it before. I, I heard you hate it before. <laughs> 
my one random observation from episode two, and this is really only for the Canadians out there, but I love how much Sam Smith um, looks like a real-life version of Sam Crenshaw from today's special. <laughs> um, again, that one maybe is just for the Canadians, but it's uh, uncanny. It's uh, I, I, And I think he's so good in this one, too. I just love how joyful he is in uh, recalling some of the stories and talking about the characters in this. Um, yeah, so far, you know, so good after only two episodes. I was... I was hooked, and oh man, guys! I mean, just quickly, I was grow. I was going through uh, some things last night. I'm I'm in a new place. I've just moved, and uh, I thought, you know, nine o'clock is going to come around. I've got an ESPN Plus subscription. All right, I'm just going to be able to watch this, you know, Uh-oh. in live time with everybody else, and tweet away with everybody else. And then I soon found out about nine o one. Um, uh oh, you can't watch it live on ESPN Plus. <laughs> It'll go up. You know, right after it aired. So I guess it went up at 11. Uh, um, so I was quite angry for a good 45 minutes. Um, didn't know that part. Didn't know that part. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, oh, well, what do I do now? So I stayed up. I watched. Ep- I actually watched episode one last night because I, w- you know, I stayed up till 11 to watch that. And then I went to bed and watched episode two this morning, um, eh, which maybe actually help differentiate them a little bit because i'm sure mm. if you just watch them together it's a little bit more like you know a two-hour movie oh, yeah blend, it definitely yeah definitely blended in a little yeah. bit more i think yeah. in that respect but uh but but it's good that the story just sort of continued like that you know you sort of like i, I was so impatient on the commercial breaks i'm like come on get going get going <laughs> Because I'm watching on Hulu, so right, so you can't fast forward. So if you have to, like, you know, for if you glitch or whatever, and you lose a second, you can you can fast forward during the during the uh, actual action. But if you're yeah. in the commercial, you you got to sit through it. So uh, yeah, well, look, it could be worse. Like a lot of international people are uh, just yeah. catching this today, right on Monday. Yeah. I think right. it went up for a yeah. lot of people all over the world. Um, yeah. And I'm with you, Lee. You slipped it in there. I'm actually maybe this is just because we have nothing else to talk about. We were doing podcasts on NBA Horse for crying out loud, but like. I'm preferring this, like, two on Sunday and then another two next Sunday and then after that and after that, then putting these in the NBA Finals, like, on the off nights. That's where it was originally going to yeah. go. And, yeah, you know, fine. That would have been great, too. We would have, of course, been talking about it. But uh, I like it by itself. It's, like, such a more of an event without actual mm. real NBA basketball going on. So, in a weird way, it, od- it oddly worked out, I think. Definitely feels like the 90s, going back and watching the Bulls, and everybody's watching the Bulls. That was my childhood growing up, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, maybe watching one and two separate is a good way because it's like, when did Phil Jackson show up in a trench coat? Was that the first episode or the second episode? <laughs> Inspector Gadget? Phil Jackson. <laughs> what a look. Uh, yeah. what I thought that was a crazy yeah, look. Yeah. I also love seeing, um, like, old Benny the Bull with the big fat bottom. Yep. That yep. looks so dated to me now, too. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's like this took 22 years to come out. I would have watched it at any point in those 22 years, but I'm happy it's now when there's not really anything else going on. And you get to see 90s basketball basically in HD. Like when they're running out onto the court and you see that shot from behind them and there's like lens flares coming up. You're like, this just looks incredible to see this stuff that looks like it's made with computers because these are basketball players we watched 20 years ago, but it looks crystal clear. I just... Uh, the technology of it is amazing to me. It's like, yeah, it would have been great to have it at any time, but I'm fine with it now. Yeah, no, you're right. Shout out to uh, NBA uh, Entertainment for uh, actually putting this on film, even though I'm sure it was quite expensive back then to follow the team. Tass, is there, uh, you know, we'll wrap this up here soon, but is there anything you're most looking forward to 
um, you know, in the upcoming eight episodes, be it a particular angle you think they're going to go with or a particular player or character? What are you most looking forward to? Well, for a guy like Michael Jordan to come out now and say that I'm worried about the way I will be perceived after this makes me think that there's going to be some real berating and not just the berating on his head. There's something, the yelling, <laughs> he's going to give it to somebody. He is going to yeah, destroy Yeah, because you're saying people. it wasn't that bad in your opinion. Because I agree from the first two episodes. Is that fair to say? It wasn't. It wasn't anything. Yeah. And, may, and maybe it's because he set us up for it. Like, but maybe. for a guy like MJ who doesn't usually care about stuff like he just wanted to win. So him telling Coach to, you know, he got in his face a little bit or Ron Harper got in his face a little bit, that was nothing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to what he's got in store. There's got to be some real deep archives, some real deep footage. If they followed him around for a whole year, uh, you know, the the backstory is all great, but I want 97, 98, the footage that were, was, was somewhere in Sea Caucus, some, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in there in that in those the archivist had to document all that stuff and it was held separate it was told mj we're gonna hold it separate it'll be we're not gonna blend it in with anything so yeah i want to see what those tapes had all right lee what about you what are you most looking forward to yeah just uh the the dennis rodman story i I think that's coming up pretty soon um it's going to be interesting to see how his personality intertwined with the others i mean a chaotic situation we know that at that stage of his career rodman was really he didn't really seem to care he goes wrestling during the finals with Carl oh. Malone you know we know he we know he goes out drinking and partying and all that sort of stuff so it's going to be interesting to see how Jordan and his dynamic works because again Jordan obviously wants to win we know that and does he you know does he get any um, tension with Rodman because Rodman goes out there when he plays he competes and there's no question about that but does the extracurricular stuff in Rodman's life ever great on Jordan uh, you know that's what I'm going to look forward to seeing and seeing how Jordan manages that relationship so uh, but the Rodman I mean, episode you're looking yeah for. Uh, I bet all I mean you know like two episodes in it was great and I just yeah I just want to watch them all like so um, I just want to give a quick shout out to to an Australian guy his name's Adam Ryan he has the uh, in all airness podcast and uh he, he got a credit last night he, he made a contribution to this uh documentary so uh it's great to see an australian guy out oh. there who's just a, a jordan historian you know a bulls fan he grew up in australia like me and he was able to uh to to contribute to this feature so um that's hey, uh, speaking of cool that Lee, was there not a shot of the exact poster that yes. you had obviously in your bedroom and then brought yep. to the starter set that was the exact poster right they showed exactly. it in the doc that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I saw that as it was going along. I, you yeah. reminded me. I want to go back and uh, find the exact spot of that. But that's right. That that that's from Jordan's rookie season there, which is uh, which was incredible. So yeah, that to see that because that's the one I dug out yesterday and I looked at and I put it out on on, on social media. Yeah. So to see it in the documentary, that's I was like, cool. wow, yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's good to see uh, some Australian get a little bit of credit because where was Luke Longley for all this? I know. No well, Longley, I guess... no Ku Coach. I'm hoping we'll get to them in a little yeah, bit. Maybe. I, I'm expecting Luke's going to have a double episode himself, surely. Won't he at some point? <laughs> <laughs> They'll only air in Australia, those two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Trey, uh, to wrap it up here, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, Tass and Lee nailed him. Anything behind the scenes, any locker room scene, any practice scene, any of the stuff that we just haven't seen before is must watch. And I think the Rodman episode is going to be insane because if it just focuses on his time in the Bulls, like that's going to be a crazy episode. But Rodman was despised by Bulls fans because of the the run-ins with Pippen and Jordan 
when he played with um, when he played with the Pistons. Like he sent Pippen into the stanchion. Like the guy was one of the yeah. least liked players uh, as a Bulls fan that I can remember growing up. It's like him and Lambeer. Um, and then suddenly he becomes the Bulls. But we hear Jordan's okay with it because all he wants to do is win. And if this is going to help, it's going to help. But there's got to be some sort of tension when that guy comes into practice after he is basically trying to hurt the Bulls, and then yeah. a lot of them are still there. Um, so to see them actually be able to work it out and make that relationship work for three years, despite the fact that, you know, Rodman just wasn't showing up by the end of it and, like you're saying, was going and releasing books and wrestling Carl Malone. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff that we're going to learn about Dennis Rodman, and we've learned a lot of it with his 30 for 30, and, you know, he's pretty open with his life in general, but just seeing that relationship between Jordan Pippen and Rodman is going to be crazy. For sure. All right. Well, we'll call it there. Uh, that's it for this podcast. We're going to hit the beach a day earlier than normal. So get your NBA questions and comments in ASAP. Email us, nodunks at theathletic.com. Tweet them in at nodunksinc, hashtag nodunks. That beach step in podcast will drop on Tuesday of this week. And then on Wednesday, we are going to talk to Ethan Sherwood Strauss about his new book, The Victory Machine. That is about the making and unmaking of the Golden State Warriors dynasty. So sort of uh, interesting timing here, talking to uh, Sherwood Strauss about the Warriors uh, coming a juggernaut and then what happens with them with Katie leaving, all while this is going on, reliving the, uh, the Bulls dynasty. So that should be fun. Shaping up to be a fun week here, boys. So Clipper Bros, take us out. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, as Larry Bird said, God was dressed as Jordan that day. Embrace the day, people. You could stay.